I'm, I'm blessed to be in the house of God and uh, whether we know each other by name is not as significant as the fact that I am honored today that we all serve the same God. Amen. We've been redeemed by the same blood. Amen. And we've all called on the same name of Jesus Christ who has saved us and redeemed us from our sins. And so I am grateful to be in this place today. I'm trusting that God is going to do something over the top today. I wish I could find some help on a Sunday morning. I'm trusting that God's going to do something over the top today in somebody's life. Uh, Amen. I didn't come all the way not to be changed. Amen. I believe that every encounter with God should leave an indelible mark on our life so that we know it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to take just a moment and honor the set man and and the woman of God here in this house, Bishop uh, Brian Matthews, and thank them so much for uh, taking a chance. Anytime you have uh, someone new that stands in your uh, pulpit, you take a chance. And uh, he stands before the Lord and is accountable for the souls that he watches over here in this house. And I know it's through prayer and through faith that he makes those decisions. So, Bishop, I honor you today. Thank you so much, sir, for taking a chance on me. It's my custom just to make myself at home wherever I go, and I hope that's all right with you. Amen. And I believe that uh, we are going to see uh, God do something powerful and strong in our lives today. I have something I'd like to do if you don't mind. I'm going to ask you one more time just to stand if if you don't mind. And I want everybody to take hands with somebody. Just cross the aisles if you don't mind. Everybody holding hands with somebody. I want to take one moment this morning, just pray one more time before we open the word of the Lord and ask God to help us. But so many times our 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 motivation for coming to the house of God is because we're in desperate need for God to do something for us. We need a miracle. We need a breakthrough. We need a healing. We need a word. We need something. I want you to do something this morning and just forget about yourself, about your own need, about your own personal desire. And I really want you to, from your heart, I want you to pray for that hand that you're holding, that person that you're connected to. I want you to believe God for them. The beautiful thing about this is we're about to activate the kingdom of God and put it in motion because we're going to see the law of seed time and harvest come into effect before our eyes. While you are praying for someone, sowing a prayer, you're going to be reaping at the same time because while you're praying for somebody, somebody's going to be praying for you. Let's do that from our hearts. Father, would you bless the hands that I hold today? Would you bless my neighbor on my right and on my left? I don't know what's going on in their world, but I do know that you hold their world in your hands. I'm praying today, Father God, that you would bless my neighbor, that you would bless them indeed, and that you would enlarge their territory. I'm praying, Father God, that you would pour your spirit out on them today and that you would begin to stir up the dream and the vision that's within them. I speak to their destiny and to their future, and I declare that the best is yet to come. I say over your life that God will do everything that he said he would do. He is not a man that he should lie, and if he promised it to you, it's all. On the way. Father, I speak favor over my neighbor today. Favor with God and favor with man. Favor in heaven and favor on the earth. I pray, Father God, that you would give them favor in their health, in their family, with their finances. Give them favor on their job. Give them favor in their mind, their will, their emotions. Surround them with your favor like a shield. 
everywhere they go, let favor get there before they show up. Let favor linger after them. But more than anything, Father, I speak peace over my neighbor. And I say that there is nothing missing and there is nothing broken from your life, that you are already currently complete in Christ Jesus, lacking nothing. Now, Father, if you'll bless my neighbor today, I'll praise you like it was my own personal blessing. That's my heart and that's my prayer. In the name that's above every name. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all the saints of God say amen and amen. Now come on and put your hands together. Open up your mouth and give God a praise. Come on. Come on. Open up your mouth and give God a praise. Open up your mouth and give God a praise. this morning. Come on. Come on. Help me sing. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. Oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God. time with everything you've got. Sing it from the bottom of your heart. Sing how great, how great Sing with me how great Oh, we'll see how great How great is our If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to take your Bibles. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you guys for working with me off the cuff. Uh, Just grab your Bibles and go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to switch directions here just a little bit uh, this morning and preach something that just kind of left in my spirit a few moments ago. Uh, You can be seated if that's your custom, however you want to do it. It's fine with me. Um, And uh, are you the sound, uh, ma'am? 
the, the sound, who's, who's sound? Give me just a tiny bit more monitor, if you can. I've been preaching just a little bit. My voice is uh, just a little weak, and I pray that you'll help me today. If you'll help me, we'll, we'll do good here. Is it all right if we just try to follow the heart of God for a few moments? Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you have your, your Bibles there, want to preach for just a few moments to you, trusting God to help us in short order. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 1. If you have it, say amen. Um, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Soko. Somebody say, at Soko. Which belongeth to Judah. Somebody say, Judah. And they pitched between, between. They pitched between Soko and Azekah. They pitched between Soko and Azekah. The Bible says that the Philistines had gathered their armies together at a place called Soko. The Bible says that that place, Soko, belongs to the territory, the nation, the people of Judah. And it says that they are placed between Soko and Azekah. Father, if you would help me today, I'm trusting that you're going to do something powerful in our lives. Give us a freedom and a liberty now that makes preaching easy. Send an anointing that makes hearing even easier. Cause everything that would stand in the way of the Holy Ghost to get out of our way in Jesus' name. Jesus, you be high and lifted up and exalted in this place. And change our lives so that by the time we leave, we know that we have met with God. Shake us at the very core of our foundation and bring us into a new dimension of power and faith with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The name of this house, the name of this church intrigued me from the beginning, and it was my first inclination to preach to you a little bit on the subject of praise, because praise is in your name. You have labeled this house as a tabernacle of praise. And when you say something, you announce something to the community at large. You announce not only to people who pass by, you say that when they come into this place, if they don't find anything else, they're going to find a safe place to praise God. What you begin to announce to people is one level, but you also announce to powers and principalities around here in the realm of the Spirit that this is a house of praise. You see, the the thing that that, uh, is often confusing to me is how many people come into the house of God but don't really experience the presence of God because they don't know how to engage God through thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Our God is a God who desires and longs to be thanked and praised and worshiped. If God has a weak spot, it is worship. If God is addicted to anything, it is praise. God will never show up at your pity party. You can cry and you can moan and you can whine all you want to, but God is not moved by your tears. God is not moved by your complaining. God is not moved because you are frustrated. That's why people that always complain and murmur get on my nerves. I don't like people around me that are negative and critical and all 
always fussing about something. I would rather tell them, hush and get out of my face because I don't need all your drama in my ear. I've got too much to be thankful for. And God does not respond to those negative kinds of things. God will always, he'll never show up at your pity party, but he'll come to your praise party every time. As a matter of fact, you don't have to have a choir or a band or a church. It ain't got to be Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Holy Ghost revival. You can sit down in your car and open up your mouth and begin to praise God and God will sit down in the passenger seat and ride the whole way with you. If you praise God, he will show up in every situation in your life. And I liked the name of this house, and it was my inclination to go in this direction. And then I've been praying all the way over in a totally different uh, vein. And then this morning, I, I'm drawn back to preaching something here about this one particular word, Judah. Judah. Now, Judah is an interesting, interesting word because it is, uh, it is, it's a trichotomy uh, word. It speaks not only of a person, of an individual. There was a man named Judah. But it also speaks of a territory or a region or a land or there was actually a place on the map that was called Judah. Uh, but the highest application of the word Judah is a spiritual word and it means praise. The word Judah at its root means praise. Somebody say praise. And one day when I was reading this very famous story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, which is the story of David and Goliath, something caught my attention at the very beginning where I started with you today. It said that the Philistines, in their strategy, Bishop had gathered together between Soko and Azekah, but it said that they had planted themselves on territory that belonged to Judah. I want you just to nudge your neighbor real quick and tell them this place belongs to my praise. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing to nobody. Tell somebody, this place belongs to my praise. Uh, I thought this was a Holy Ghost church and y'all was going to talk back to me today. I don't like quiet people. Quiet people make me nervous. I want you to work with me for just a little while today because I want to talk to you about this concept of Judah. But before we, before we get into my, my text today, just run with me to a few places, if you will. Do you have your Bibles with you still? Now, you, you don't mind reading the Bible, do you? We are in church. I want us to track just a little while, and I, and I want us to build a case here for this place belongs to my praise. I want you to go with me to Psalms 114 for just a moment. Psalms 114 and the first verse, and, and they'll put it on the screen for you here in just a moment. I'm sorry, dear, I should have given you uh, this, but I didn't know I was going to go quite here. So Psalms 114 verse 1, watch this. It says here, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, it says Judah was his sanctuary and Israel was his dominion. When, when God got ready to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he is getting ready to deliver them and begin to position them to go into the land of promise, God says, 
I need a place for me to live, to dwell. I need a sanctuary that I can abide in. I need a people that I can hang out with. And God had 12 tribes to choose from. He had 12 different options of who is it that I am going to live with when we get out of Egypt in transition. And God said, I'm going to hang out with Judah because those are the people that know how to praise me. Those are the people that I feel most comfortable with. When God gets ready to show up and hang out with anybody, he always looks for the praisers. That's why you can never get mad about how long the song service goes or how loud somebody shouts or it shouldn't get on your nerves that somebody is a little more vocal or a little more emotional than you. It might be just the fact that they've learned a secret that every time they open up their mouth and give God praise that somehow he shows up. Now this room that we are in, we have labeled this room, we name this room, we call this room a sanctuary. And what it means is that this is a safe place. Are you listening to me? The word sanctuary means it is a safe place. It is a place of protection. It is a place of, of, of uh, where life is preserved. Now you would think that a God who is sovereign a God who is strong, a God who is mighty, a God who conquers all of his enemies would not need a place where he feels safe. But God said, I want you to build me a sanctuary. Give me a sanctuary because even in my sovereign identity, I need a safe place that I can live in. And God decided I am going to live in a place with a people called Judah. Hmm. When you understand this, you begin to realize that more than just creating the room and calling it a sanctuary, there is a spirit that's connected to it. There is an attitude. There is a mindset. I grew up in church all my life. And in the church that I grew up in, there were certain things that you could do anywhere in the church, but you could not do them in the sanctuary. If you got caught running in our church, you better be running in the Holy Ghost. Because if not, you was going to get your tail whipped. And so we didn't come and sit in the sanctuary and, and uh, text on our cell phones. We didn't use the, the message time to balance our checkbooks. We didn't clean out our pocketbooks or study what everybody was doing. As a matter of fact, we, we learned that when you come through those doors, that you're coming into a safe place, a holy place, a special place, and you don't act any kind of way and just do any kind of thing because it was a sanctuary. As a matter of fact, growing up in, in uh, South Georgia, down in the country on dirt roads in the middle of the summer would be hot as, uh, you know, it's hot. And we'd put on shorts, but if my dad saw me try to go in the sanctuary with some shorts on, he was so, he was so uh, committed to the sanctuary being holy that he would say, boy, you better not go in that sanctuary with them short britches on. And they taught us to reverence the sanctuary. They taught us that it was a special place. It was a unique place. 
And what we do is you understand that there are not a lot of places that you and I have in society that we can really release ourselves and, and, and feel comfortable in praise. Because the reality is, is that you probably can't show up at your job every day and just lift up your hands and speak in tongues. You, you might get fired. You can't just, you know, you, know you, you, you can't just go into deep worship in uh, restaurants or people will start picking up their plates and moving away from your table. And so I look forward to Sundays because I know on Sundays I'm coming into a room that's been specifically designed for me to be able to cry if I need to cry, shout if I need to shout, run if I need to run. If I need to lay on the floor in a corner, nobody's going to look at me like I'm crazy because I am in a safe place to praise God. It's interesting, the, the, the word sanctuary is an interesting word because uh, many of you are hunters and you'll realize that, that there are areas that the government or the state have preserved and they say this is a wildlife sanctuary and this has been set aside, designated as a place where this species is not threatened by an enemy. So you can't hunt on those sanctuaries because that place has been designed specifically for procreation for that animal. That means the enemies are not allowed. I used to tell my church, you got to drop all your drama at the door. You got to drop all your fussing and all your fighting and all your negative nonsense. You got to drop it at the door. You got to leave it in the parking lot because this is a safe place. This room wasn't built for you to fuss and fight and act crazy and lose your mind. This room was built so that we could come in here and lift up holy hands to a holy God and bless him without fear, without reservation, without fighting, without conflict and chaos. This is a sanctuary. And when God said, I'm looking for somebody to live with, to dwell with, to hang out with, he said, I'll choose Judah over every tribe because they know how to praise me. I get so upset with people, they always tell me, I, I can't find God. I don't know where God is. Where did God go? God ain't went nowhere. Quiet, it's quiet, it's quiet. I'm looking for you ain't looking for God. God is where He's always been. On the throne. Talk to me, somebody. Every if God does move, He always leaves a forwarding address. What is it? He's surrounded by gates of thanksgiving, walls of salvation. Courts of praise. Anytime God slips off the radar screen of your life and you think that you can't find him, open up your mouth and start praising him. You'll realize that he's right where he's always been. And if he won't come to you, he'll move you to him with your praise. Talk to me, somebody, in this church. Judah was his sanctuary. Run with me quickly. I got to hurry. Psalm 76. Psalm 76. I like this one right here. Psalm 76, verse number 1. Psalm 76, verse 1. 
Bible says here, in Judah, God is known. Do you see that in your Bible? Is it in your Bible too? Because sometimes when I'm preaching to the saints, I think I got a different version of the Bible than they got. It says, in Judah, God is known. That's an interesting word. The word known there is a very interesting word because it is a word of intimacy. It's a word of covenant relationship. You'll find that the Bible will say that an Adam knew his wife and she conceived and brought forth children. So the word known here is a word of intimacy. It's a word of deep familiarity. It's a word of, of that it means that you have moved out of the crowd out of the superficial, out of the exteriors, and you've moved into a more private or personal place with God. In Judah, God is known. Have you ever been in a worship service and before the preacher ever got to speak, there was something in a song that gave you your answer? There was something in a praise that started to solve your problem. Somehow God helped you figure it all out before you ever got to the end of the service because somewhere between a thank you Jesus and a glory to God, he answered your question. He revealed himself. He showed himself strong. God stood in your face and said, I'm right here. I'm with you. I know where you are. I know what you're going through. In Judah, God is known. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to make trouble for nobody, but I got one shot. You might not have me back. I always get confused by people who tell me that they know God, yet they don't praise God. It's always been confusing to me how that somebody would say that they know God, but yet they don't praise God. Now, most of us have come into a place of understanding that there are some dynamics to praise that are unavoidable. Praise is not optional. For the believer, praise is not suggested, it's not recommended, it's, it's a command. And with the command of praise, there are specific things that are connected to praise, which relates in both verbal and physical activity, meaning that you cannot praise God in totality in silence. That means that you have to at some point open up your mouth and acknowledge that God has been good to you. At some point, you've got to say thank you, hallelujah, glory to God, bless you, something. You've got to say something. Beyond that, there is always physical attachment. There is always something like the lifting of the hands. Let the lifting up of our hands be as the evening sacrifice. There is the bowing down. There is the todah. There is the, the uh, tahila. There is the shabak. There is the barak. There are all these things that are activities, and it's clapping and dancing. Are you with me, somebody? And all of these things, uh, because, because God is a God who enjoys demonstration that is more than just on the spiritual level, but also also solical and physical, meaning that God wants you to engage all three dimensions of your being in your worship to him. Your flesh belongs to him. Your body 
Your mind, your will, your emotions, and your spirit, they all belong to God. So when you worship God, you can't worship God just in silence without engaging your mind and your body. Amen? And so it's always been a bit confusing to me how that people will come to church and sit in church and we will put the words on the screen for you. And the words will say, clap your hands, and you still won't clap your hands. The song will say, shout, and you'll refuse to shout. The song will say, dance, and you won't dance. How, how much easier can we make it for folk when we tell them what the expectation is in this moment and they still won't do it? I'm surprised at the number of people that go to church and will fold their hands and look at the worship leader like they're out of their mind, not knowing where they are, but get them at a NASCAR race or a football game and they act like they ain't got good sense. But got the nerve to tell me you're saved? Got the nerve to tell me you're a Christian? Got the nerve to tell me that you know God? The devil is a liar. If you knew anything about God, you'd know that he was the one that woke you up this morning. If you knew anything about God, you would know it was him that gave you the ability to get the job, to buy the house, to buy the car, to buy the clothes, to buy the food. And nobody would have to beg you to praise God. Nobody would have to command you to clap your hands. No Nobody would have to encourage you. When your eyes opened up in the morning, you just automatically say, thank you, God. You've been better to me than I've been to my own self. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands in your name. I can't help but give God praise. Hallelujah. I wish you'd take 30 seconds right there and somebody in the tabernacle, if God's ever done anything for you, open up your mouth and praise him right where you are. Come on, if it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, surely your enemies would have swallowed you up by now. Sit down, I'm just talking to you. I used to have people in my church that were too deep, Bishop, to praise God. Too deep, too spiritual. They've been serving God for a long time, you know. And so now they were no longer emotional. That's what they tell me. Well, you know, all, all, that, all that praise, all that shout, and all that running, that's emotional. Well, and, I, and on some levels, I agree. Now, you can be entirely emotional and never be spiritual. But you cannot be spiritual and not be emotional. Because I don't care how long you've been walking with God. Every day of my life, I realize that he gets better and better. How dare, how dare me hold back on him now? Especially when the Bible says the candle of the righteous burneth brighter and brighter into a perfect day. They would fuss because they thought we were too loud. Or we expressed ourselves too much that we were not dignified or somehow it made us ignorant if we lifted up hands or we cried or, or we shouted or we ran. And I'd never let anybody mess with me about my praise because you don't know what God did for me. 
You wasn't there when God reached down and changed my life. When I come and I lift up hands, I ain't worried about you anyway because my praise doesn't belong to you. You might not have ever done anything for me, so I'm not going to allow you look at me funny and I'm going to sit down and be quiet just because I make you nervous. I'll pick my Bible up and find another pew to sit in if I get on your nerves. But if I feel like giving God praise, ain't nobody going to stop me because I and me, me and I alone know exactly what he's done for me and I know he's worthy of my praise. And people will say, I know what the Bible says. Well, the Bible commands people to praise through the lifting up of hands. Commands us to praise through the dance, through the jump, through the shout, through the run, through everything. Praise Him on the instruments, all those things, and we'll sit in service and still not praise God. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I don't see. Here, here, this is the issue. The issue is that it is entirely possible. I'm not impressed by people who can quote scripture. I'm not impressed by people who, who know uh, from, from the fundamental theological, being able to break it down, the Greek and the Hebrew. I understand all that. And I get into this all. It all has its place and it's all, it's all beautiful. But I'm not impressed by, by people who can quote scripture. Because it is entirely possible to know the word of God, yet not know the God of the word. I don't know if you heard that right there. It's possible for you to know the word of God, yet not know the God of the word. Plenty of people that have memorized scriptures, but don't know Jesus. They can quote the Bible, but they don't have covenant with God. Hmm. In Judah, God is known. The reason why... The reason why I am so passionate about this subject in particular is because something happens when we begin to praise God. Something supernatural happens in the atmosphere when God is welcomed. You see, the, the, the first portion of the service, that, that's not the entertainment portion of our show. I wish I could find some help in this church. It's not, it's not what we do. We don't sing uh, so that we have something to do to wait for all the late folk to get here. It's not giving a few people uh, an opportunity to express their gift or their talents. No, that is the portion of the service where we are thereby engaging God. We are invoking his presence. We are saying to him, come and meet with us in this room today. Make your habitation in this house. Come and dwell with us. Come in this room because we need your help. We require your assistance. Without you, we are nothing. And if you don't show up, we have wasted our time. And so we are coming today to say that we thank you and that we love you and that we praise you and that we desire you, that we are hungry for you, that we are desperate for you, that if you don't show up today, we might not make it and we engage God to dwell with us because we need to see him on another level. We need another word. We need faith and strength for our journey. 
Because what happens is the Bible says that God is enthroned on our praise. Which means that my praise, watch now, my praise creates a throne for God to sit on. God sits on my praise. Hmm. Now see, if you understand anything about a king and about a kingdom, when a king, when a king, when a, when a king is just walking in his kingdom, just surveying his kingdom, anything that comes out of his mouth uh, is not necessarily established as a law or a decree because he's just walking and talking. But when a king sits down on the throne and he is in the position of enthronement, whenever he opens up his mouth, whatever he says is then established as a decree or a law for the entirety of the kingdom, which means that he can sit in his throne room open up his mouth and say one thing that changes everything. And it doesn't matter if every subject is in the, in, in the courtroom or the throne room to hear it. All that matters is that the king has spoken it. And if the king has spoken it, it now has implications over the entire territory of the kingdom. That's why you've got to understand that there are some days you will stand at this altar and begin to praise God. And God will open up his mouth in this room and give you a word, but it will change your job. It will change what's going on at your house. It will change your destiny and your future. Because if he says something in this room, it is established as law in the entirety of your life. That's why it's important to praise him. Nudge your neighbor and tell him this place belongs to my praise. Can I keep preaching for just a minute? Run with me, run with me to, oh Lord, Hosea chapter, chapter 10 quickly. Hosea chapter 10 verse 11 quickly. Am I doing all right, Tabernacle? Hosea chapter 10, Hosea chapter 10, verse 11. I like this right here now. Hosea 10 and 11. If you have it, say amen. And Ephraim, somebody say Ephraim. Now Ephraim is as an heifer that is taught, trained. She's been disciplined. Loves to tread out the corn. But I have passed over upon her fair neck. Watch, I will make Ephraim to what? To ride. I'll make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall what? Judah shall plow and Jacob shall break up his clods or Jacob shall come behind and plant. Hmm. In, this one, in this one text, you see all three dimensions of praise. You understand that there are three dimensions. Yeah? You understand that God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? You understand that Jesus is a triune. In the Gospel of St. Luke, second chapter. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Okay, well, Mary didn't have triplets. It's the same baby boy. He's Savior in one dimension. He's Christ in another dimension. He's Lord in the third dimension. Thanksgiving, praise, worship. Okay, the word Ephraim means doubly blessed, doubly fruitful. It means I am thankful. 
I am thankful. Somebody say, I am thankful. And God says, Ephraim is beautiful. Thanksgiving is great. It's awesome to be thankful. You ought to be thankful. I said, you ought to be thankful. If you made it here today, you ought to be thankful. Somebody didn't make it this morning. Somebody somewhere didn't wake up today. If you woke up, you ought to be thankful. And you ought to tell God thank you. After all, you're breathing his air. And God said, thanksgiving is beautiful. And it should come natural. It should be trained. Nobody should have to tell you to be thankful. Why should we have to tell you every week to thank God for something? It should come natural. It's a discipline. You should be trained to be thankful. You should train your kids to be thankful. I wish I would hand my kids $50 and them not say thank. I snatch it back so quick. Because I taught them if somebody does something for you, gives something to you, you respond by telling them thank you. I don't know about you, but if I check my resume, I don't deserve nothing. So I got a lot to be thankful for. But God said, Thanksgiving's not enough. I will make Ephraim to ride. Now, what's going to ride on Ephraim? Judah. Because Judah shall plow. So, watch now. You understand that you cannot get into the Holy of Holies without coming through the courts of praise. But you can't get into the courts of praise without coming through the gates of thanksgiving. So it all starts at the gates of thanksgiving. Then you move to the courts of praise. So the only way to get into praise is to hook your praise to your thanksgiving. So now now your, your praise has something to attach itself to. And what happens is you come in and you say, God, I thank you for all the things that you've done. Thank you for my yesterday, for my past, for my history. Thank you that you saved me, that you redeemed me. Thank you for what you did. I've got a, a car to drive, clothes to wear, food to eat. All, thank you for all that. And then when you begin to praise God, it, you're not praising him for what he has done. You're praising him for who he is. Yeah. You, you understand that, right? Because you do have, you do have people. You do have, well, I'm going to take a sidebar right here now. You do have people that praise God based on what he's doing. So if God's been real good to them, they'll come in on Sunday and shout the church to pieces. Let them get a job or a promotion or a bonus or something like that. They shout the church all down, scream and holler and run. And we got to tie you up with blankets and keep you from kicking holes in the sheetrock because you're so excited about what God has done for you. Some of those same folk, if they can't pay a $37 light bill, will sit on the back row with their lip pout out like, like God has never done anything for them or refuse to say anything. Because they base the quality of their worship on the quality of their week. If God has been good to them, then they praise him real good. But if God in their mind hasn't done anything for them, they don't say anything. That's why I like the saints who no matter what season you find them in in their life, it doesn't matter if all the bills are paid and everybody's well in the family. It doesn't matter if there's no drama and they've got it all together. They'll come in and lift their hands and praise God because they know that God is a keeper. 
But some of those same saints, even if they're struggling in their body, even if they don't have $10 in their bank account, even if they are having all kinds of chaos and confusion with their children, they'll come in and still lift up their hands and praise God like everything is perfect because they have learned that it's a relationship with God and they're not praising Him based on what He's doing. They have learned that even if it looks like God is not doing anything, He is still being God. Hmm. Oh, and I get it. I understand it. Sometimes when all hell is breaking loose in your life, it's not easy to lift up hands. Sometimes when the devil is coming against you, it's not easy to clap when they say clap. Sometimes when your world seems like it's falling apart, it is difficult to open up your mouth and give God praise, but you've got to go deeper than your circumstances. You've got to press way beyond your situation. You've got to get out of the superficial and into the supernatural and realize the same God that delivered you the last time you thought you weren't going to make it is the same God that's going to do it this time. Every one of us in this room have been in places before we thought there's no way God's going to get me out of this one. Well, look where you are. He says, Judah shall ride on Ephraim. Judah shall what? Plow, right? Judah shall plow. Everybody say praise plows. Come on, talk to me, church. Say it loud. Praise plows. So that's what we're doing. When we come here and we begin to engage God, we're plowing ground. We're plowing ground. Why? Because Bishop's coming. Jacob's coming to plant. And if you plow up the fallow ground of your heart, when the word, have you ever been in this sanctuary and bishops start preaching and you think, my God, who told him what was going on in my life this week? He has been listening in on conversations that we've been having in our bedroom, in our living room, sitting around our kitchen table. Have you ever been at the place where you thought, my God, that's the answer I've been looking for? And when the man of God started speaking, you knew that that was a direct line from heaven for you. You heard it in his accent. It sounded like his voice, but you knew that it was the word of God. Well, do you know why that happens? It's because your praise plows so the preacher can come and plant. If you ever get in the place where you really need a word from God, you ought to be the most radical person in the praise service because the moment Bishop gets the microphone, God is going to speak to your life and change your world. Somebody say, this place belongs to my praise. Hmm. I got to hurry. Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20. We're just going to track a minute. I'm, I'm almost to my text. I'm almost to my text. Just work with me. Judges chapter 20, verse number 18. Judges 20, 18. Watch now. And the children of Israel arose and they went up. Somebody say up. They went up to the house of God. God's always up. Amen. God's always up. They went up to the house of God. And they asked counsel of God. And they said, which of us shall go up first? Somebody shout first. 
first to battle against the children of Benjamin. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Okay, get this now. Have you ever woke up on a day where you know today there's going to be a fight somewhere? I don't know who it's going to be with. I don't know what it's going to be about, but I feel a fight coming on somewhere. A struggle in the spirit. I've got an enemy. There's an adversary. Something is against me. The children of Israel are in a difficult place because they know that the fight is on. It's definite they're going to have to fight the children of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin is not a short order enemy. Benjamin is strategic. Benjamin is strong. Benjamin is wise. Benjamin knows how to fight. And so they go to the house of God and they say, in order for us to win this battle, who, out of all the tribes, who shall we send up first to the fight? God said, send those crazy praisers from Judah. This is my strategy. Send the praisers to meet the problem. I am so weary of saints that cannot praise God until the battle's over. Saints that have such a Miriam mentality because anybody can grab a tambourine and dance after they cross the sea. It takes somebody special that praises on the way to the fight. Anybody can say thank you after the announcer has come on and lifted your hand and declares you the winner. Anybody can praise God then. Give me a couple saints that will look head first into hell and say, I don't care how big and bad the devil seems. I don't care what the problem is tomorrow. We're going to stand right here and we're going to put some praise on our situation. That's why you can't wait until you get the promotion. You got to start praising God for it now. You've got to praise God in advance. You've got to send praise to meet your adversary. Always send Judah first. It's not the only time that God used a strategy like this. There was another time in the book of Chronicles, you remember, that the prophetic word of the Lord came to the people and they said, we've got to fight another battle. The battle's on. What should we do? And God said, well, you know what we could do? We could use an, a natural strategy. And what we could do is we could we could take and, and we could put all those people with swords and spears and we could put those people with the shields out in front and we could fight this thing the logical way, the way that everybody thinks you ought to fight a fight. But God said, I'm God, I'm sovereign. Let's do things just a little bit different. I'll tell you what, let's use a strategy that don't make no kind of sense at all. Let's use a strategy that is so ridiculous that everybody will have to know that it was God who did it. This is what I want you to do. Don't worry about the sword. Don't worry about the spear. Don't worry about the shield. Get me a bunch of priests. Give them a lantern and a trumpet and tell them to start marching toward the battleground and put a song in their heart and tell them to start singing, bless the Lord for his mercy endures for 
forever. And when the sound of the enemy heard praise coming on the way, it so confused the devil that the armies destroyed themselves. And by the time the people of God showed up on the battleground, they never had to lift a finger in the fight. It took them three days to pick up the spoils of everything that their praise had won for them. Out of all the things that you fight with, baby, learn how to fight with your praise. Learn how to fight with your glory. Hallelujah. Learn how to war in the spirit. Learn how to open up your mouth when the devil is coming against you. And instead of crying and complaining, say, and watch God work on your behalf. Send some praise to meet your problem. Something happens in the realm of the spirit when the people of Judah start looking at their adversaries and saying we could fight you with natural methods, but rather we'll stand back and let God be God. I I, I got to hurry. I got to quit. Ah, Jesus, help me, Lord. There's a fight going on in 1 Samuel. This is the fight of their life. Philistines, who are the classic archenemies of the kingdom of God, the people of God, the philosophies of God, the principles of God throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. It is the Philistines who are the rivals, the arch enemies. The Philistines have found themselves a giant of a man. And it's not just that his presence is intimidating, it's also his mindset. Goliath knows he can't be beat. Goliath has such a spirit of arrogance that, my brother, when he comes to face the entire army of Israel, he walks out of the safety of the rest of the Philistines and marches into the middle of the battlefield by himself and says, send me anybody that's willing to fight me. If anybody is willing to fight me, if you beat me, you beat them all. And day after day, Bishop, this is his scenario. Wakes up, shows up, announces, I cannot be built. And he is so intimidating as a figurehead that he has paralyzed the entire army of Israel. They are terrified. Nobody will fight this man. Here comes David. David ain't never been to boot camp. Talk to me, somebody. David has no military training. David is considered the most insignificant son in the family. You'll remember when they get ready to anoint the next king, David doesn't even get invited to the ceremony. 
Jesse says, I ain't no way we'll ever make it to David. David, you stay out there and just keep the sheep. David doesn't look like a fighter, doesn't fit the bill. David shows up to the battleground with some bread and some cheese. He is the lunch lady. And he shows up and sees this flat fool, Goliath, standing out there in the face of the people of God, announcing, send somebody to fight. And David gets confused. And David says, y'all got to help me with this. David says, somebody needs to tell me what's happening here. Because this don't make no sense to me at all. Can somebody explain what's going on? They start going through all the logistics of everything. Life big and he's strong. David said, yeah, I get all that, but, but do you see where he is? He's, he's on territory that belongs to Judah. And David says, now, what's, what's the deal here? What, what happens for the man that whips this guy. And they say, well, uh, he gets a bunch of money. He gets uh, a girl. <laughs> and he gets no taxes. And David said, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Money, girl, and no taxes, I think I'll take that. And so David says, I'll fight him. And they say, they laugh at him. They scoff him. They said, David, you're out of your mind. You're ridiculous. They try, you know the story. They try to put him in Saul's armor. It doesn't fit. He said, I, I can't fight in something I'm not used to. You see, they, 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 they don't know that for the measure of confidence and arrogance that Goliath has, there's only one person on the battleground who has been able to equal him or go beyond him, and that's this man, David. Because you see, they don't know that this ain't David's first fight. Talk to me, somebody in this church. That's why when David stands out in the face of the biggest opposition he's ever looked at, there's absolutely no fear in him because David says, I've been in this place before. They wasn't with David when David beat the bear and when David beat the lion, but he's already got a track record of winning. I'm talking to somebody in this room. You might be feeling like that you're facing the biggest battle of your life, but if you'll just look back over your shoulder and realize that you've won every fight so far and you've come out of every battle so far, you'll realize this thing that's standing in front of you might not be quite as bad as... And David stands there and says, Baby, this ain't my first fight. The same God that was with me when I beat the bear, the same same God that was with me when I beat the lion is the same God that's going to help me defeat this uncircumcised Philistine. And today is the last day that you're going to deny me the blessing and the progress that God has for my destiny. And the biggest mistake that the Philistines made that day was not sending Goliath to fight David. The biggest mistake they made is where they decided to camp out. They decided that they were going to position themselves on territory that did not belong to them. David is the son of Jesse. Jesse was born in Judah. David was born in Judah. When you're born in Judah, you know what belongs to Judah. 
And David said, the devil is a liar. He could have camped anywhere else, but he cannot camp on this place that belongs to Judah. Nudge your neighbor and tell him this place belongs to my praise. Interesting to me, interesting to me where, where the Philistines have camped. The, the, the word there in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, the, the word Azekah, the place Azekah, which is a literal place, the word means a plowed ground, a tilled soil, a place where seed is planted. That is the literal translation of the word Azekah. The word soko, literally translated, means tent, tabernacle, dwelling place, place of provision, place of supply. Watch, think about this. Goliath shows up and camps out between a place where seed is planted and a place where provision is released. If you'll check your life, I promise you, every major attack of the enemy that is designed to bring you into spiritual paralysis will come between a place where you have planted seed and a place where you're trying to reach your harvest. So I'm going to tell you, saints, the devil could care less about how much seed you sow. What he cares about is how much harvest you reap. You can sow all the seeds you want, but it doesn't mean a thing if you don't stay in the fight long enough to reap the harvest. Why do you think it is that the devil tries to wear you out and get you to give up before God comes through? Why do you think it is that the Bible would teach us both Old Covenant and New and Proverbs? The Bible says, like, it says it like this. It says, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When the blessing comes, when the gift comes, when the promise comes, it's like a tree of life. The wisdom of Solomon says, the longer you wait for something, the more painful it gets. And there's really no relief until it's yours. Galatians will say, listen, don't get weary in well-doing. Because you will reap if you just don't faint. Meaning if you'll hold on long enough, what you've prayed for, what you've cried for, what you've believed for will be yours. But I believe I found an answer for my own life. I realize that Every time the giant stands before me, he stands saying, Kevin, you've cried, you've prayed, you've given, you've worked, you've trusted, you believe for this thing, but I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to say you are not going to have it. And every day he would step out and say, you can't have what you believe for, you can't have what you sold for, you can't have it. 
And when I saw this scripture, it changed my world. Because I realized that Goliath was standing on territory that did not belong to him. I realized that he was standing on territory that belonged to Judah. Or he was positioned in a place that belonged to my praise. You have seed and you have harvest. The only thing that separates the seed from the harvest is the thing called time. Seed, time, and harvest. The only thing that stands between the seed and the harvest is time. Bishop, what is it that that Goliath is doing? Goliath has paralyzed their time. He's monopolizing their time. He stands out every day to say, this is another day you can't have your miracle. This is another day you can't have your breakthrough. This is another day you've got to stand right there in Azekah where you have planted and look over to Soko where the harvest is, but you can't get it because I am going to deny you. Oh, but when they got a praise When David showed up, David said, you come to me with a spear and a sword. And that's pretty and that's cute and you're a warrior and you got it all together. And I might not look like much to you and you might be trained for the battle, but this is the deal, baby. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And today is the last day that you're going to deny me access to my destiny and my future. I came to tell somebody this morning at the tabernacle of praise that has a Goliath standing in your way. I came to tell you that the place that Goliath is on does not belong to him. He is trespassing on territory that belongs to your praise. And instead of complaining in this season, if you want to get into your miracle, if you want to get into your harvest, if you want to get into your breakthrough, you've got to command the time of the season that you're in because this is a season for your time to belong to a place called praise. I'm telling you, let me give you a prophetic word for this house. I'm going to get out of your way for real. I've preached for too long. Bishop, if, if this house will get behind you and move into a season of ridiculous praise, you'll shatter every limitation that's standing before you. There are giants both both uh, naturally and spiritually in this territory that are positioned against you to keep you limited. Strategies of the kingdoms of this world that are designed to keep you isolated and limited in your expression. There are people who say they love God all around you but hate this church and what it stands for. 
There are powers and principalities in religious settings that would try to cripple what God is trying to do. There are archaic philosophies and traditional mindsets that are trying to shut down the next move of God's glory in this place. I came to tell you that if you'll move into a place of ridiculous praise in this season, every financial ceiling, every numerical ceiling, every spiritual ceiling, every natural ceiling of limitation will be shattered in the next season in this house because if you will find a place to praise God in advance and tell the devil get off of the territory because it does not belong to you this place belongs to my praise there is a bigger day there is a better day there is a higher number there is more that God has destined for this house and if you'll put some praise in the atmosphere God will give you the breakthrough that you desire I want everybody in the building that believes that this is a word from God to get up on your feet and begin to clap your hands and open up your mouth and begin to praise God like you ain't got good sense. I want everybody, come on everybody in the room to begin to magnify the Lord. Come on, come on. Come on, let me hear the sound of Judah in this house. Let me hear the sound of praise in this house. Give God the best praise that you've given everybody in the building. Open up your mouth. Clap your hands, all ye people. Come on, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on, just about 30 seconds of high praise. Hallelujah. Somebody praise him out of your spirit, man. Come on, somebody praise him in other tongues. Somebody just work, 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 work for just a moment in the atmosphere. Bless the Lord your God. I bless you, Jesus. I bless you, Jesus. I bless you, Jesus. I bless you, Jesus. Where are the praisers in the house? Get the pra- if, you, if you're a praiser in the house, come on, I'm talking about somebody that really knows how to praise your way into your breakthrough. Get out of your seat and come to this altar for just a moment. Come on, and come with a praise on your lips. Come with a praise on your lips. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Open up your mouth and begin to lift up holy hands. Come on, I'm just going to take about two minutes right here, just about two minutes right here for us to open up our mouth and bless God. Come on, I want the, I want the praisers in the house.